we continue in the book of Colossians, rooted. Some people's roots uh, take a long time to take hold. Some people, it's just gradual. Other people, they just dive in and they read their Bible and they just go for it. Uh, How rooted are you in Christ? Today, we're asking the question, how rooted we are, and why would you stay rooted? Because the Apostle Paul knows that everybody is going to face pressures, people, persuasion. I know I face that. Even as a pastor, I remember the day I got a knock on the church door. I opened the door, and there was a a young man there, and, and he asked if he could come in and speak with me. And I said, certainly, come on in. And we got to know each other a little bit, and And then I said, tell me, what brought you here today? And he said, well, I came here today because I I wanted to talk to you about something very important. And I said, well, tell me about it. I'm curious. And and he went on to say that, he said, do you realize that churches that uh, own property are not the true church? I said, I've never heard that before in my whole life. I said, do you own property? He said, no, I don't own any property, and my church doesn't own any property. I said, oh, okay, so what are you suggesting I do about my problem? And he said, well, you should leave your church and join the true church. And I said, you're serious, aren't you? And he said, I am. And it was interesting that in his approach, he was basically being an ascetic. You know what that means? To withdraw. To withdraw from something. We're going to talk about that later today. And then I asked him this question. You know, so how are you supported? And he said, the people in my church take care of me, and I travel from church to church, and I live in their house, their houses, and they take care of me, and I preach the gospel, and, and that way we don't have to own any property or, or get involved in that sort of thing with government. And so I said, well, tell me this. How many of your people own property? And he didn't answer the question. Because the truth is, is that every one of them probably own property. And that's how he was being taken care of because they were participating in the economic system and they were helping him out. And I said to him, you know, I'm not going to leave my church. I, I love my Jesus and I love my church and, and uh, you know, I don't see any problem where I'm at. But, you know, isn't that interesting that someone would come to the door of the church and invite me out of my church and out of my ministry? And so if I face that, I thought, what must you face? You probably have people knocking on your door at home, wanting to tell you stories and persuade you to leave or abandon your faith and join some other thing. And that's happened to me too. And so we are looking at answering that question, why hold on to Christ with all you've got? Because if you subtract from Christ, you're diminishing the strength that he provides for you. If you add to Christ, you're actually subtracting from Christ. He is our everything, folks. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. That's why you've seen in Colossians chapter 2, these messages to walk with Christ. 
He's done everything for you. Stay with Christ. Hold on tight. That's the message today. Hold on to Christ and Christ alone. And the Apostle Paul is telling you the reasons why to hold on tight because there's all kinds of isms and religions and other belief systems out there that are contrary to your Bible. And so let's take a look at answering those three reasons why to hold on to Christ. The first reason is because he's the real deal. I just put it, I guess, in everyday language. He is the real deal. And Colossians 2.16 says it this way. Therefore, in light of what he said about trusting in Christ fully, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And you know, there's folks out there that though they're well-intentioned, good intention, they really believe they're right, they're asking you to be a better person by your performance. And the Apostle Paul is here telling us in Colossians that that's not how you have a relationship with God is by your performance. And the people who judge you by, for example, your dietary practices or your religious schedule, your holidays that you practice, your church attendance, or maybe even your devotional life, reading your Bible. They have specific agendas for you. They have specific things in mind that they want to tell you you have to do, hoops you have to jump through in order to qualify in their system. And the wonderful news about the gospel is said this way, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of not as a result of performance so that no one can boast. And so, of course, the Old Testament system, it had a lot of rules and regulations, uh, eating and drinking those rules. It had festivals, uh, new moon celebrations, monthly celebrations, Sabbath day celebrations, weekly, in order to help people think about God to put him in the forefront of their mind, to spend time with God, to go be with other people, to go to the temple, to talk to the priest. And these were all things that were meant to help them, point them toward God to think about how important it was to pursue God. But it never says that by what you eat or drink, your diet, or by your religious festivals, or your Sabbath day practice, it never says to them that you will be saved by those. What it does is, in the Old Testament, it points out how inadequate we are to actually practice those things consistently. Have you noticed that? The very thing you say you're going to do, doggone it, you don't do it consistently. The very thing you put your mind to, oh, I, I forgot I failed. And that's the point of the Old Testament is that the Jewish believers of the Old Testament put their faith in God rather than in their behavior, their performance. And so Paul goes on to say, these things are a shadow of the things that were to come. And what is a shadow? The other day I was taking my grandkids up to Stevenson and we passed Beacon Rock in the morning, and I looked up at it. Oh, it was so beautiful that morning. Blue skies, 
come around the corner, that dip, and then you look and you see the top of it, and the skies were just the clearest I'd seen for a long time, and I just thought how beautiful it was, and we passed it, and then that afternoon we came back, and you know what we came into as we came back? We came back into the shadow of Beacon Rock, and it casts a big shadow, and I saw right on the highway instantly when we hit that shadow, but that shadow did nothing to reveal the greatness of Beacon Rock. By looking at the shadow, you may know a little bit about the shape, but the way the sun was, it was contorted, so it wasn't actually the shape. And Paul's saying that the Old Testament rules and regulations are a shadow. They're not the actual thing. They're not what we're headed for. They're a precursor that's pointing to something that's still yet to be revealed with greater clarity. Which would you rather do? Look at a shadow of Beacon Rock? Or stand there and look at it on a clear day and climb it and enjoy it personally? Which would you rather do with God? Would you rather know God as a shadow? that maybe you've heard about him or you speculate about him? Or would you rather actually get to know God personally? The difference between the shadow and what Paul says is the reality is the difference between pointing towards something and the thing itself. That a relationship with God is found in Christ He says, these are a shadow of the things to come that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. But you tell that to a legalist. You see, that's what a performer is. A performer is a legalist, and a legalist is a performer. They're a person who goes by rules. Uh, They're very set in their ways, and they know the numbers, and they know the time, and they know the frequency, and they hold you to it. And that's what a legalist does. They want to help hold you to their rules. What God wants to do is to reveal himself to you through Jesus Christ. A guy by the name of Philip in John chapter 14 asked Jesus, And by the way, he had hung around with him for a while. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, if if you would just reveal the Father, that's all we ask of you. Jesus responded in two ways toward Philip that is so relevant to this issue. He said, Philip, after we've been together so long, why are you asking me to reveal the Father to you? If you've seen me, You have seen the Father. And that's his first point. Is that you don't need any other revelation, Philip. You have me. I and the Father are one. You have the Father. You have God in his fullness in your presence to help you and to guide you. And then he said, Philip, the works that you've seen me do, Don't you know that it's the Father who lives in me that is doing these works for you? And that's the second thing he said to him, is that Jesus was revealing that he had totally relinquished his 
life and his work on earth to God's empowerment. And that is the source of the Christian life. It's not your works. Even your works are a revelation of God at work in you and through you. These are a shadow, but the reality is found in Christ. He's the real deal. Don't be persuaded to go somewhere else. Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks about the dietary law. And he said, are you so dull? Translated, are you so dense? Don't you get it? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all food clean. And so Jesus was showing that what the Old Testament system was pointing to and all these dietary things were for our benefit to point us toward God, but it didn't actually bring us into relationship to God, and neither did the food take us away from God. It doesn't matter what you eat. And thus he opened it up to eating various foods. But the key is still this. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ? And what is your response to the people that try to draw you in to performance-based religion? We prevent people's judgments from undermining our faith in Christ by speaking the truth to ourselves about Christ's all-sufficiency for us. He lacks nothing to give us. Second Peter 1, he says that all these things are given to you so that you can live in the fullness. Why would you go anywhere else? He's the real deal. I remember a guy saying to me, as I worked with him and trained him in a business uh, skills setting, and he said to me, and I, I knew his religious background, and he said to me, uh, Ken, you're a very righteous person. I'll tell you how I responded to that gentleman that day, that very nice gentleman. I said, that's very kind of you to think of me that way, but that's not really true. There's nothing about me that's righteous. But I can tell you where my source of true righteousness comes from, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's where I left it. By having this kind of a relationship with Jesus, you are liberated from legalism. You are not performing for God's acceptance. You have acceptance through Christ's performance. You wouldn't go anywhere else, would you? The second answer is that Christ connects us and grows us. I also thought of saying Christ unites us and grows us. Who he connects us to and unites us to is the Father, a relationship with God and with each other. That we are community based on a common faith. Now there's another kind of performer that will try to draw you away from a pure faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of person who's looking for significance through religion that they want to be somebody. 
They want to go into the business of religion to influence people and feel influential and to do some good in the world. And it kind of sounds good, doesn't it? And sometimes where they head, as we see today, actually sends them in a direction that's away from Christ and away from the family of God, disconnecting you. Let's read about it. The Apostle Paul says, don't let anyone who delights, oh, they are excited about this. They're excited to talk to you about their humility. They'd love to to talk to you about things, good things like prayer. They'd like to talk to you about seeking God, maybe going to church. The, The list goes on and on. They're delighting in doing in order to be significant. And they're inviting you into the significance of this false humility. It is not humility if you're trusting in yourself. Faith is only humble when you're trusting in God. As soon as you become confident in yourself, that's the great danger. And this person not only delights in false humility, but also, look where they go, the worship of angels. A form of idolatry. And you've heard in this series about first century Gnosticism. It was developing, it was formulating, it was, by the end of the first century, it had become pretty official. Uh, People had come to their positions on Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was very convenient religiously. It offered you a hierarchy of connections to God without necessarily having to go directly to God. You see, if you want to avoid God, you just create a hierarchy from God on down to, to, I guess, the world, and then you just leave people options of who or what they can connect to. And one of the big connectors in Gnosticism was angels. And so these people were using a false worship of angels to claim humility and to claim that they got their connection and their information from angels. And I still see today people who have more faith in angels than they have faith in Jesus Christ. And you'll see their angel images and their angel figurines And they'll even talk about angels, but they won't talk about Jesus. And they'll invite you into their angelatry, their worship of angels. But they won't invite and they won't talk about Jesus. And so Paul is saying, don't let anyone who is settled for less to draw you away from all that you will ever need. Jesus Christ, your all-sufficient one. So he says, here are the dangers and here are the signals that you will recognize in these folks. These folks are a form of uh, mystics. Because you see, they get their information more from secret sources, esoteric sources, than they do from just picking up their Bible and reading about Jesus and God. And so they're mystics. They're seeking out information from other places. Paul says, such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. 
And so they're into their own personal vision casting. And whatever comes to their minds, they perceive as being spiritual. And so they're seeking to invite you in great detail into their vision, which you haven't had. All you can do is rely on them because they're the one who had the vision. And and isn't that so convenient? That's how a cult is formed. Someone who has exclusive access rather than everybody being able to read the book. Another indicator is that they will be puffed up. They will be proud. They won't be condescending. They know better than to do that. That's why they have to give this pretense of humility. But they will be so confident and so excited about what they have to offer you because it's coming from them and that makes them significant. The third problem that you'll recognize in this kind of a person is that their idle notions, in other words, notions that take you nowhere, will come from their unspiritual mind. And it actually says in the Greek Bible, their fleshly mind, the mind of the flesh. In other words, they're not able to distinguish between their good ideas and God's truth. And so here are three ways that you will be able to recognize them. Watch out for the isolated mystic, the person who thinks they alone have what it has, has what it takes. And it says in verse 19, they've lost connection with the head. They've lost connection. He says they're disconnected from, from really thinking about the word of God. They're really not thinking about Christ. They are thinking in their own heads. They're off in their own world. And it says that if they were connected to Christ, they would be part of the body. They would be part of a community. And they would be connected. Because you see, that's how Christ formed his church. Is that as the head of it, he created by his death, burial, and resurrection. Publicly witnessed. Witnessed by thousands. Testified to, documented in the Bible. Recorded as historical fact. It took place in the presence of people who observed it, talked about it together, and they started going around the world telling what they had seen and heard, what Christ had done, that he had risen from the dead. The explanation for why billions of people around the earth right now believe in Jesus as Savior and leader of their lives is a testament to what they saw or heard that he had done. Nobody else rises from the dead, but Jesus Christ did it, and people saw him, talked to him, ate with him, spoke with him after his death, and burial, and resurrection. And what did this produce? This produced you. You may be a ligament. You may be a tendon, a sinew. Either way, you're part of his church, 
and he designed you to be part of his goodness that holds us all together. That's right. He designed a church in which his people would be dependent on him and interdependent on each other. And through serving and spending time with each other, we would be held together as ligaments and sinews as God causes this church to grow. And so, the problem with this kind of an individual that's disconnected from Christ in the head is that they're independent. They don't need to be connected to you or I. They're on their own. Their significance is through their individuality and what they're accomplishing and what, they're, what visions they can tell you about. It's not about community. It's about their need for significance. So I, I actually was invited to go to uh, listen to a speaker, and I, I went with the person because they were a newer believer, and they said, hey, I've, I've gone to this church and heard this person, and I just want you to come and listen to him too and tell me what you think. So I thought, I'll do it. So I went with them. And they were talking uh, from the Bible, and they were talking from some passages that I hadn't heard many people speak on. It was, it was kind of unique to hear someone speak on that, and it sounded kind of straight up true and okay, and I said to him, but you know, I've only been here and listened to this person for about 25 minutes. I can't really tell you where they're headed or where they'll take this church, but it was interesting that over a period of years, it became evident that they used almost everything from here except for, and this was their falling point, their definition of love. You see, it just takes at one point somebody deciding to go on their own and redefining the Bible in one area and this church became a cult and headed off, spiraling off in wild directions. The Bible says they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And that's why Christ is our all-sufficiency and his word guides us in the truth. So spiritual minds are dependent on the shared public knowledge of Christ and his word, the word of God. And that's what keeps us together is that we're not seeking individual significance. We're seeking Christ as a team, as a family. And so this is where you can be liberated from the need for significance through mysticism, through going off on your own and having visions and pursuing your own good ideas. Well, maybe not so good. The third reason why you hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone is because he died and we died with him to worldly principles. That Jesus literally died on our behalf 
so that our sins would be forgiven, that he would pay the price, and so that we could have relationship with him. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, elemental spiritual forces were already talked about in chapter 2, verse 8. In other words, it's the principles of the world, the ideas of what you do. Have you noticed that we're a performance-based system? Wherever you go in the world, there's rules. Rules of do this, don't do that. And you can even name them for me. Where did those come from? Some of those came from human beings. Others of those, the scripture claims, come from spiritual forces of this world. And Paul says, well, he asks, why as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Because when you put your faith in Jesus, he died perfectly, having kept all the rules. And now he accomplished the work, he made the payment, and you get the benefit. You get the blessing of being forgiven based on his work. Why do you go back to the world's rules to perform for the world? The rules are do not handle do not taste, and do not touch. Now, I'd like to point something out. The first strategy that uh, opposes, you know, this freedom that we have in Christ was back in the first two verses today, 16 and 17. You know, be performance-based people is what it said then. But the performance there was the performance of adding on. It was the performance of Jesus plus. Do your devotions six times a day. Get on your knees and pray this many times a day. Do this, do that. Add to Jesus plus this. Remember, Jesus plus anything is less than the real Jesus. But this form of performance is about withdrawal abstinence. It's about a don't system of living. The other was a do system of living. This is about what you would draw from, what you say, oh, I'm, I'm going to be better. I'm going to quit doing this. It's, it's like those New Year's resolutions that say, uh, I'm going to give this up or I'm going to do less of this. And, and it works for a little while. And, and then you realize it didn't work. Here's what Paul has to say about this negative performance-based system. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use. So either the person who promoted the rule dies, and then everybody goes, oh, I guess we're on our own now. Or you've been trying it over and over again, and after a while, you just kind of gave up. Yeah. And so you just said, okay, I'm just going to... And many people try that. So here in town, I had the privilege of walking through town one beautiful summer evening a few years back. And it was the weirdest thing. This person comes out of this house and asked me um, who I was and... I didn't know them. And, you know, sometimes you don't know, you know, what's this about? 
I said, well, I'm Ken, and actually, I'm a pastor down the street. And so the person walks off their porch and comes right down on the sidewalk with me and says, I need to talk to you. And we have, end up having this conversation about God, and uh, then a person looks out the upstairs of the window in that house. And they say, what are you doing? And the guy I'm talking to tells them, and they shoot back through the window, and then they come out the back door. And they come walking down the stairs, and they come up to us, and the guy I originally talked to goes back in the house, and then there's this other person there standing talking to me. And, uh, and they said, why were you talking to him? <laughs> and I said, well, because he, he came out here and asked me questions. Well, why? And I said, I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And it was just so weird. Just these people start coming out of this house to me. And this, so this second person starts talking to me about what I talked to the first person. And, and it just goes from there. And, I, and they said, I used to go to church. And I said, when? And they said, 20 years ago. And I said, well, why did, why did you quit going to church? I gave up. I said, really? You must have been pretty young when you gave up. They said, yeah. Yeah, I was a teenager when I gave up. Yeah. I said, did you ever go to my church? No. I said, uh, I just want to invite you to come and check out the real deal, the real Jesus. And I said, why did you give up? They said to me, because I tried, but it didn't work. I tried, but it didn't work. And so I took a stab in the dark and I said, so, so you were trying to follow some rules, right? And they said, yeah. And I said, were they do rules or don't rules? And they stopped and looked at me and they said, I guess most of them were don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. I said, yeah, I understand. And you didn't succeed, did you? And you felt like a failure. And they nodded. And I said, Jesus Christ didn't come to supplement your effort. He came to do the full job for you. He doesn't tell you, come to me through don'ts. He says, just come to me. Yet to all who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. It is by grace through faith that you receive him and that not of yourselves. It's a gift. And I said to him, would you like to receive the gift and not the list of do's and don'ts? Would you like to receive Christ, the gift? And they did right there on the spot. It was the weirdest walk I've ever taken through this town. And that person left, and I actually stood there waiting for another person to come out of the house. I thought, why not? Why not? So you see, people who try harder fall harder. People who just trust in the performance of Jesus Christ get it all. They receive it all. 
He is the all-sufficient one that takes care of their every need. These kind of regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. It sounds good on the outside. It looks good. But here's what you need to know. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You cannot overcome your human nature by imposing worship rules on yourself, by trying to be humble, by, by hurting your body. People actually do that. They'll climb stairs on their knees, praying every step they take on their knees, thinking that somehow God's going to hear them better if they're hurting. And the Bible says, no, it's not about the harsh treatment of the body. It's not, not about faking worship. The way real change happens and the real power for change in your life happens is through a relationship with the real deal, Jesus Christ. Abstaining may be a great idea in some cases, but it's a goal, but that doesn't provide you with the power for true change and self-control. That comes through Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, rose from the dead, and gives you the power for a new life. You can be liberated from asceticism, from systems of withdrawal and don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. And you can simply come to Christ and find the power to be different. So here are the applications for today. Be fully dependent on Christ rather than your performance. You'll never be good enough. Number two, be fully dependent on Christ rather than seeking experiences, trying to be somebody, trying to distinguish yourself, trying to find significance through uniqueness. And then be fully dependent on Christ rather than the world's rules, whether it be a don't, don't, don't system or a be better system, do, do, do. Just go with Christ. So the real issue is to rely on Christ alone because substitutions and supplements are not helpful but harmful to your spiritual growth. He provides everything you need. Would you stand with me and pray? <clears throat> Jesus, we uh, thank you for the freedom that you give us from systems of performance that just defeat us. And we choose instead, we choose you. You alone. The one who promised that you would die for us, be buried, and on the third day rose again, and you did just that. And it's in that power that we trust. It's in that grace that we trust that our sins were paid for at that cross, and that, Jesus, you give us the power for a new life. It never started with how good we were. It never ends with how bad we are. 
It ends with how perfect you paid for our sins and how you give us a new heart and the power of the Holy Spirit within to live the Christian life. If anyone wants that, if anyone wants that relationship to know Jesus and to fully trust in him, would you just slip your hand up and I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who have raised their hands and said by faith they want you, Jesus. Thank you for the gift that comes by faith and those who have received it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.